Amen. Amen. Thank you, Jesus. What a sweet presence of the Lord is in this place. Thank you for your response today to that. As you remain standing, uh, we are so blessed to have Brother Woodward with us. If you weren't here uh, last night, you missed just a, a dynamic uh, word of God. And I would encourage you to go back online, lwnb.org, and, and listen to that message. He talked about how we deal with problems and gave us some very practical instruction that when problems come, we have a way to identify the source of that problem. And then we have an opportunity to say how we should respond to that problem. Amen. And then he did such a great job today at Tree of Life. And uh, once again, we're excited that he's here. He's from Fredericton, New Brunswick. Uh, used to pastor uh, Capital Community Church, now is the bishop, and he travels across the U.S. and internationally, and uh, just is such a blessing to our movement, such a blessing to the body of Christ. And so would you give the Lord a hand clap as Brother Woodward comes today uh, to preach the Word of God. Amen. Brother Woodward. I love you, sir. Amen. Thank you, worship team, for leading us into the presence of the Lord. Appreciate that so very much. And Amen. Uh, you can go ahead and be seated. It's a joy to uh, be with you here today and uh, so grateful. Thank you so much. It's a, a joy to be in the house of the Lord and uh, a joy to see God's people, a joy to be with your pastor. Don't you love your pastor? He's amazing. And uh, it's it's been a great uh, privilege. He let me come to Wisconsin to do a hyphen event when he was working with uh, the youth division, and uh, uh, that was pre-COVID, B.C., before COVID, uh, and so I'm glad to be back and with him and with all of you, and uh, so thrilled um, uh, to see your worship this morning and uh, to know that uh, there's a great local church here, and uh, your, your connection to your local church, uh, that is the most important spiritual decision you will ever make outside of your personal relationship with the Lord, and that is your connection with His church. Um, Jesus didn't start a church. He came and paid the price with His blood so there could be a church, but He left the task of starting the church to His apostles. And so uh, that's why we are an apostolic church. We follow the pattern of the people that Jesus entrusted with starting His church. And uh, so... Um, this is, the church is called his body, his bride. Um, you know, it would be kind of a strange thing if you said to somebody, well, I really like you, but I hate your bride. Uh, that wouldn't go down well with most people. Um, I'm so grateful for the Lord, but I'm so grateful for his church, aren't you? And uh, you have the opportunity to be part of a, of a great church here. And I do want to share something with you from the word of the Lord this morning. Um, I am a little bit of a, of a collector, perhaps. Uh, some people would say pack rat, but that's really unkind. Uh, I, I'm, I'm, in no, I'm nowhere near being featured on hoarders or anything like that, so, so don't worry. But I do like to collect things, and, and uh, the guys on staff at home, uh, for years they've made fun of me and persecuted me and, and, uh, because I collect things. But I notice that when other guests come to uh, the church, they're always kind of taking them through my office and pointing out all these things that Pastor Raymond has collected from all over the world. So, uh, you know, really, I'm the good guy and they're the, the bad guys. But anyway, I digress. 
Uh, one of the things that I love is when somebody is blessed by God with a beautiful talent to put together something, a piece of art that inspires us. And I really love that. And uh, Thomas Blackshear II, um, he's one of those. He was uh, the son of an Air Force captain here in America, and he grew up in Atlanta. And he says, drawing was all I ever liked to do. After his graduation from two prestigious uh, art schools in Chicago, he was recruited by Hallmark Cards as an illustrator, and he was very successful. He received many accolades, and, uh, but he was still dissatisfied. There was something that just it didn't scratch the itch in his spirit, and so he decided to pursue a career in fine art. And today, Thomas Blackshear II is known for beautiful artwork. A lot of it has uh, wonderful African-American themes. Uh, he's known for a series of artwork uh, on several of your postage stamps here in the USA. But Thomas Blackshear II is best known for his religious artwork. And today you can find it in homes and in churches uh, all across your nation and many other places. Um, I love this one. It's called Coat of Many Colors, and it is inspired by Revelation chapter 5 and verse 9, which talks about uh, the redeemed coming out of every kindred and tongue and people and nation. And that piece of artwork portrays Jesus uh, adorned with a robe, and if you notice, it's made from the fabric and the flags from all around the globe. It's a really nice piece of art. And then Forgiven, uh, that's by Blackshear as well, and, and it's my personal favorite, and this print hangs in my office at home in Fredericton, and it portrays a despairing man, and he has a mallet in one hand, and he has a large spike in the other, and it symbolizes that he and his sins were responsible for Jesus' death on the cross. And yet, despite his guilt and his sin and his shame, Jesus is the one holding up that broken man. And if you look really close in that print, and I've done this at the one in my office, at Jesus' feet are broken chains. And in the place where Jesus' blood has fallen, beautiful lilies are starting to spring up and grow. It's a beautiful piece of art. And then, uh, this is by Blackshear, it's called Watchers in the Night, and it also hangs in our home in Fredericton. And it's a powerful image uh, of an angel providing covering and protection over a small boy who is sleeping peacefully. Now, I've been a pastor for four decades, a little bit more than that, and over those four decades, I have given copies of that picture to little children in our church who were troubled by nightmares, uh, and they just were struggling. And every time I've given them that print, I've also given them these two verses, Psalm 91 and verse 11. He shall give his angels charge over thee to keep thee in all thy ways. And also this verse, Psalm 127 and 2, he giveth his beloved sleep. Can I just tell you, there is no reason for us to be having Pentecostal panic attacks and anxiety and all kinds of things. I know there's a lot going on in the world, but he has given his angels charge over us. And God promises that he would give his beloved sleep.
And so I've given that print to little children. I, I heard from um, a mom in our church uh, just a few months back, and she came to me. She said, Pastor Raymond, do you remember when you gave uh, my little boy that print? And I said, yeah, I do. I've given that to several kids. She said, he was tormented. She said, uh, it was like night terrors. He would wake up screaming and he couldn't get back to sleep. And she said, you gave him that picture and you gave him those two scriptures and you prayed over him, little simple prayer, and sent him on his way. I just printed out that picture on a little card and he put it on his nightstand. And she said, from that night till now, the kid's like 21 or 22, she said, he has never, ever uh, had anything like that happen again. There's something about the faith of a child, but can I tell you, we all have that kind of faith. The Bible says we're each given the measure of faith. And I don't know about you, but I trust God's word. I trust what God promises me, and and I love that. So um, Thomas Blackshear said, I hope you're reminded each time you look at this painting that no matter what you are going through as God's child, there are angels under the Lord's command who are close by and ready to assist you. And I would suggest to you this morning that Mr. Blackshear is absolutely right. And that's what I kind of want to talk to you about today. Uh, In Scripture, God has many compound names. And one of the compound names of God is Jehovah Sabaoth in Hebrew, or we would say in English, the Lord of hosts. The Lord of hosts. That term for our God makes more than 260 appearances in the Old Testament scriptures. And it's mostly in the writings of the prophets. And some of them really love that term. Um, Jeremiah uses it 80 times. Isaiah uses it 53 times. Zechariah uses it 50 times. Haggai uses it 14 times. Malachi uses it 25 times. The prophets love to think about God and call him in Hebrew, Jehovah Sabaoth, or the Lord of hosts. And it's a, it's a military term, actually. And uh, because Sabaoth is a military word, and it's translated armies, and it means to wage war. So when you say the Lord of hosts, what you're describing is our God is a captain or a commander, and he's in supreme control of vast armies of angels that populate heaven. And you read your Bible, the prophet Daniel and the apostle John, Daniel in the Old Testament, John in the New Testament, they each caught a glimpse of these massive, innumerable angel armies. And here's how they described them. Daniel said, thousand thousands ministered unto him, and 10,000 times 10,000 stood before him. John said in Revelation 5, and the number of them was 10,000 times 10,000 and thousands of thousands. Now that's either an impossible math problem or that's a pretty cool description of God. The writer of Hebrews simply describes them in chapter 12 as an innumerable company of angels. And it appears everywhere in Scripture. That our God is not just some figment of our imagination. He is the supreme commander of all the angel armies in heaven. He is the God of the angel armies. So you might remember this story from Sunday school when Elisha the prophet 
when Elisha's terrified servant came running into the prophet's humble little home and he testified to him, the, the mighty Syrian army has surrounded us, prophet of God, and your little humble house is surrounded by these soldiers. That old man of God looked back at that terrified servant and he replied with calm assurance because he knew something that that young servant needed to learn. Second Kings chapter 6, he said, and he answered, fear not. Here's what the old prophet said. For they that be with us are more than they that be with them. Can I tell you, I know the world is in a mess. We've got wars on multiple fronts and we've got all kinds of things falling apart and culture morphing into something that is so weird and strange and dysfunctional. But can I tell the people of God this morning, fear not for they that be with us are more than they that be with them. And Elisha prayed and he just said, Lord, here's my prayer request. I pray thee, just open his eyes that he may see. The angels are there, whether you acknowledge them or not. God's angels are active, whether you see them or not. But he prayed for that servant, open his eyes that he may see. And the Lord opened the eyes of that young man and he saw. And when he saw, behold, the mountain was full of horses and chariots of fire round about Elisha. So the Syrian army thought they had the old prophet and his little humble house surrounded. What they couldn't see was all around them were chariots of fire and the armies of heaven and the angels of God. And so it wasn't Elisha that was in trouble. Oh my goodness, they were in trouble. Several of the newer translations and paraphrases of Scripture, uh, they accurately translate Jehovah Sabaoth. Uh, the King James Version that I read from this morning, it translates that as the Lord of hosts. But some of the modern translations translate that term as God of the angel armies. And that I love that because it's a magnificent uh, image. The angel armies of heaven stand ready at any moment to do God's bidding. And they can, uh, they can touch down in the affairs of this planet, and they can control things, and they can manipulate things uh, for the will of God. But God has given all of those angels a special assignment. It's not so much that they're supposed to come and manipulate or interfere in the politics of the world or in the culture of the world, they've been given a special assignment. The angels of heaven are commissioned especially and specifically to minister to the people of God. And that's us. Uh, Psalm 103, Bless the Lord, ye his angels, that excel in strength and that do his commandments, hearkening unto the voice of his word. So the angels are always listening for a commandment of God. Bless ye the Lord, all ye his hosts, Ye ministers of his that do his pleasure, bless the Lord, all his works in all places of his dominion. Bless the Lord, O my soul. Yes, that is the psalm that starts out. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits. He heals all your diseases. It's that psalm. But that psalm that starts with all the promises of God to us ends with this image of the angels listening. Why? Because when God wants to deliver one of his promises to us, he often sends his angels to do it. You can't see them. You're not supposed to worship them. If you think you're having coffee in your living room with an angel every morning, you're delusional. But they're still real. 
Just because we don't see them doesn't mean they're not real. We're not supposed to worship angels. We're not supposed to pray to angels. We pray to the God of the angel armies, and then he commands his angels to do what he wants for us. Psalm 34 and 7, I love this verse. The angel of the Lord encampeth round about them that fear him and delivereth them. You can't see it this morning. But if you're a child of God, when you walked onto this campus and into this building, the angels of the Lord are here because they encamp round about the people of God. Uh, and it's not just angels. Uh, I've got a couple of bodyguards that came with me to church this morning. Uh, David wrote it in Psalms. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days. You can't see them, but they're here. Goodness and mercy. They've been following me all the days of my life. And they're following you too. God has uh, angelic hosts and blessings that follow his people. Hebrews chapter 1 verse 14 gives us a little peek into their assignment. Are they not all ministering spirits, and they are sent forth to minister for them who shall be the heirs of salvation? So God sends his angel armies to help us and to minister to us. Angels are described in the Bible as mighty, strong, glorious, fearsome, wise, and even flaming Angels move swiftly from place to place. They fight and they shout and they speak and they go before and they go behind and they bless and they can destroy. Angels can cut through storms and cut down enemies and cut out sickness with equal ease. And angels have this tremendous power, not because they're so great, but because they are propelled by God's word and they move at God's command and they operate under God's authority. That's why angels have power is because they're submitted to the God of the angel armies. And so this is why God's people in both Testaments, in both the Old Testament and the New Testament, God's people were transformed. They became brave and bold as a lion when they realized that the God of the angel armies was fighting for them. As soon as God's people stopped to realize who was actually on their side, they became fearless and they became courageous because they knew that Jehovah Sabaoth, the Lord of hosts, the God of the angel armies was on their side. It was a simple matter of perspective. If you've got a God that big, brothers and sisters, everything else is pretty small. Uh, if your God is the God of all the angel armies, there's nothing that can come against you that's going to take him by surprise or take him off guard or be any kind of a chance of defeating him. So here's the point this morning. When the angels showed up, it was all over for the enemy. As soon as the angels showed up, Battles were won, and armies were put to flight, and walls came down, and territories were conquered. Giants fell, chains were loose, lions' mouths were shut. You've read the Bible stories. Prison doors were open, bondage was broken when God's angels showed up. When God's angels showed up, there was no enemy that could stand against them. God's children were delivered out of their fiery trials. You remember this. Uh, you know, personally, and you can differ if you want, because uh, everybody has a right to be wrong, so you don't have to agree with me. I'm teasing, I'm teasing, I'm teasing. Um, 
You may think it was David's great skill on the battlefield with a slingshot that uh, knocked Goliath down and won the victory that day. I'm not sure. I think David was a crack shot with that slingshot. Uh, don't get me wrong. Uh, I think he could probably pick off a bear at 30 paces and all of that kind of stuff. But this was a giant, the enemy of God's people. Um, David faced off with Goliath uh, at the Valley of Elah. And on one side is the armies of Israel, and on the other side are the armies of the Philistines. And Goliath, the giant, goes out every morning and says to them, if uh, you send me a man that I can fight him, he'll represent you, I'll represent us. If he wins, we'll serve you. But if I win, well, it's inevitable that this giant is going to win. If I win, then you have to serve us. And God's people are terrified of that. Um, Absolutely scared to death. Uh, Until David shows up. And David is not a soldier. He's not trained. He doesn't have armor. David shows up and um, he just says, who does he think he is to blaspheme the name of our God? And uh, David walks out on the battlefield. You know the story from Sunday school. He swings that slingshot. The stone hurls and the giant falls and it's all over. I'm not sure that was David's skill with the sling that day. I don't even think the battle was won that day. I think the battle was actually won years before when David was just a young boy tending sheep out on a hillside playing his harp carving out a relationship with his God. I think he won the battle because he had a relationship with God. The battle was fought in the Valley of Elah, but it was won before because David knew his God. Can I tell you some of the greatest battles you'll ever fight in your life? You want to be prepared for them, and you don't prepare for them by doing push-ups. You prepare for them by knowing your God and having a relationship with him. Um, so... Um, no matter how long you've enjoyed your, no longer how, how long you've endured your struggle or your trial or whatever's going on, if God sends in the angels for you, it'll be over in a heartbeat. God can send an angel to visit a hospital room and somebody can be healed in an instant. God can send an angel into the middle of your trial and it can turn it around because angels are God's supernatural army and they're fierce fighters and they're mighty warriors. So it doesn't matter how long you've been at it or how long the trial has been or how difficult it's been. When angels step into your trial, your trial will be over instantaneously in one moment of time. And we see this in the scripture. We see this, uh, the role of angels in uh, God's uh, promise to his people Israel. Look at what God promised them. Exodus 23 and 23. For mine angels shall go before thee and bring thee in unto the Amorites and the Hittites and the Perizzites and the Canaanites and the Hivites and the Jebusites. In other words, I'm going to give you all their territory and I will cut them off. So God said, I'm going to send my angel before you. And because my angel goes before you, you're going to have the victory. It's not going to be your great strength. It's not going to be your great skill. It's going to be that I send my angel. And because you know me and I am the God of the angel armies, I'm going to send my angel before you and, and my angel's going to fight for you. Now, that's a pretty amazing uh, promise. And I am aware of situations in our church at home, uh, in missionary fields around the world, in churches that I've visited where I believe it was the angels of God that showed up. 
Uh, in fact, one of my friends pastors a church in Ohio, a great man of God. Uh, when his uh, daughter was born, um, she had to go into ICU. They did not expect her to make it at all. And he was so uh, frantic, and his wife was so frantic. And this little girl, it was, uh, it was doubtless that she was going to die, and they didn't want their baby girl to die. And he was praying, and he said, I saw like a, a vision. He said, I saw um, an angel walk into that ICU room, and I saw that angel walk over to that little plastic bassinet and put his hands into that bassinet. And he said, suddenly something came over me and I just had confidence that God was going to heal my girl. And he said, I was standing there in the hospital and my phone rang and it was a prayer warrior from our church. And I picked up the phone and that prayer warrior said, pastor, it's going to be okay. I was praying at the church and I saw a vision and there was a group of angels standing at that hospital. And one of them stepped away from the group and walked over to that little plastic bassinet. And I saw that angel stick his hands in that bassinet. Your little girl's going to be okay. I was talking to that little girl a few months ago at a big youth event. She's in her 20s now. She's been to Bible school. God's using her mightily. God, when he sends the angels in, it's all over for the devil. It's all over for sickness. It's all over for your trial when God sends the angels in. I love angels. We all love angels. They're amazing. But... In the world of high school varsity sports, there's a casual term that we use to describe the second string, the reserve squad, the second best lineup, the junior team, the minor league, the substitute players. They are the bench and they are the backup. And we call them the B team. Everyone say the B team. Now, the B team will eventually get the job done, but it'll probably be harder. (laughs) It'll probably take longer because they're not quite as skilled or as powerful or as uh, experienced as the A team. I just got to tell you this morning, have you ever noticed that when God wants to deliver his people out of trials, sometimes he sends the A team and sometimes he seems to send the B team? At least that's the way it is in my life. Sometimes it just seems to take longer than I wish it would take. Sometimes it seems to be a little bit more difficult. God has an A team, that's the angels. And God has a B team too. Um, You think, you're making that up. No, I'm not. Look at this, Exodus 23 and verse 28. And I will send hornets before thee, the B team. I will send hornets before thee, which shall drive out the Hivite and the Canaanite and the Hittite from before thee. I will not drive them out from before thee in one year. It's going to take a while, God said, lest the land become desolate and the beasts of the field multiply against thee. But little by little, I will drive them out from before thee until thou be increased and inherit the land. God said to them, I will send hornets before you. And God gives Israel that promise Right here in Exodus 23, before when the law is being given by Moses, 
just after they've left Egyptian bondage. And God repeats it again in Deuteronomy 7, uh, when Moses is repeating the law, they're about ready to go into their promised land. And then God states it one final time at the end of the book of Joshua, after the land of Canaan is conquered, because God wants to remind Israel of something. Your victory was not with your sword, and it was not with your bow, and it was not with your weapons. I did this for you. <laughs> God did it, but he sent the B team in. So God has, it's in the Bible. He has the A team, that's the angels, but he has the B team, that's the hornets. I would rather have the angels any day of the week, but I got to testify to you that every once in a while, I think it's the B team that shows up in my life. Because it takes a little longer, and I have to be patient, and I have to pray a little harder, and I have to be faithful through the process. But here's what I know, that when I finally come out of that situation... God gets the glory and God gets the credit because even though he didn't send the angels so it was all over like pow in one second, I know that God was working for me and fighting for me. God said, I will send hornets before you. Every time the word hornet is found in the Old Testament, it is mentioned in the context of God chasing Israel's enemies out of the land of Canaan. So there's a few commentators, because there's always a few commentators, that think this was just a figure of speech. Oh, it's not real hornets. It's, it's symbolic of a plague. But hey, the land that God gave his people was said to be a land flowing with milk and honey. That's bees, folks. So we know bees were there. And even today, Israel is home to several varieties of wasps and hornets. The Judean town of Zorah literally means town of hornets. That's in its name. And it's mentioned in Joshua 15 and verse 33. And it proves that since they had a town called the town of hornets, there was an abundance of stinging insects in the land. Now, Middle Eastern hornets are, are larger than our North American variety. Some are poisonous. Some actually live in holes in the ground. And if they're disturbed, they can viciously attack in a, in a swarm. And they've been described in literature over the years, over the centuries in Israel, that these hornets, they can drive both men and livestock to madness because their stings in sufficient quantity would certainly cause death. So in the ancient world, they didn't know everything we know about anaphylactic shock and all that. So in the ancient world, imagine the pain the horrific pain of multiple stings and the symptoms of swelling and allergic reaction, that would have caused great, great fear. Now God said to Israel, I will send hornets before you. It's certainly plausible that the hornets of Canaan could have become aggressive enough at God's command to literally drive out the enemies that were in the land of Canaan. After all, you know this, there are many places in the Bible where God uses the creatures he created to do his bidding. God used a donkey to speak to Balaam. I hope that's not what he's doing today. Um, God used frogs and flies and gnats to torment the Egyptians when Pharaoh refused to let the Israelites go. God prepared a big fish to swallow the rebellious prophet Jonah. So it's not outside scriptural precedent for God to use actual hornets 
to drive out the enemies of his people. It was like the plagues of Egypt all over again. I will send hornets before you. God's repeated promise in Deuteronomy lets us know why God used these little insects instead of other predators. He could have sent in lions or bears. But God tells Israel that the hornets will attack their enemies, quote, until they that are left and hide themselves from thee be destroyed, end of quote. So, so see, hornets, unlike lions or bears or something bigger, they can nest anywhere. Hornets can nest under logs and under rocks and even underground. They can nest in the smallest of hiding places. So the reason God's sending these little tiny hornets is that no place was safe for the Canaanites if God's hornets were hunting them down. Yes, God's B team took longer, but you hear me today, the deliverance was just as much a deliverance, the miracle was just as much a miracle as if the A team, the angels, had shown up. <laughs> Why did God do it this way? He tells us, he told Israel, I will not do the miracle all at once because a vacant land, if I drive them out in a day, that vacant land will become desolate. You don't have the resources to capture it all and organize it all and conquer it all. If I do the miracle in an instant, a vacant land becomes desolate and then the beasts of the field, they'll multiply and they'll come against you and you'll have a bigger problem than you started with at the beginning. So God chose to drive out the enemy and do his work, quote, little by little until Israel became strong enough that they were able to inherit the land. God's B team took longer, but the miracle was just as much of a miracle as if the A team, the angels, had showed up. Amen. Now here's my point for you this morning. The people of Israel were protected by two flying guardians. Number one, the angels. Number two, the hornets. <laughs> two flying guardians, God's A team and God's B team. Yes, the angels did the heavy lifting. They showed up and fought for Israel in battles in miraculous ways. But the hornets handled some of the small stuff. They allowed Israel to conquer the territory that God was giving them little by little so they could handle that transition. The hornets kept steady pressure on their enemies until the Canaanites vacated the land all by themselves and Israel didn't even have to lift a finger. It kind of worked like this. One night, this innocent Canaanite couple is sitting on their porch, sipping their coffee, and the husband's looking at his dear wife, and they're just having a nice conversation, and all of a sudden, he goes, and then she goes, it's like, where did these hornets come from? And all of a sudden, there's a swarm of hornets on their property. They're getting into the barn. They're flying into the house. They're everywhere. They can't enjoy their property anymore. And before too long, they figure out this is happening to all of their neighbors. And God actually used swarms of little hornets. He said, I will send the hornets before you. He used hornets to drive out the Canaanites. The Canaanites, Israel didn't have to fight them. God just sent the hornets in and the Canaanites get up and said, this is crazy. We're going to go find another place where there's no hornets. And they moved. And Israel takes over. 
Here's what you need to remember. If God hadn't told them about it, Israel wouldn't have even known about the hornets. They would have never realized how God fought for them. They would have assumed that because the angels didn't show up, God wasn't working for them. Or they would have assumed that maybe it was their own efforts that drove the enemy out and conquered the land. Or worst of all, they might have assumed that they were simply at the mercy of random circumstances. But none of that was true because God's B team was at work the entire time. We live in a world that's complex and complicated and so unjust and so unfair in so many ways. And we are sometimes feeling like we are at the mercy of random circumstances. If you are a child of God, there is nothing random in your life. You say, but the angels didn't show up, Pastor Raymond. I prayed and I still had to go to the hospital and have surgery. I prayed and I still had a lengthy recovery. I prayed and I still had to wrestle through some stuff in my family. Well, that means the angels didn't show up, but God has two flying guardians. God can send little things into your life that are little blessings, that are, are little ways that he delivers. And here's what you've got to remember. Just because God doesn't go around bragging on himself all the time doesn't mean he's not at work. Just because you didn't see the deliverance in one service, in one prayer prayed at one altar, doesn't mean God wasn't working for you. God can deliver in many, many ways. My goodness. <laughs> You remember the song, Waymaker, Miracle Worker, Promise Keeper, Light in the Darkness. My God, that is who you are. Even when I don't see it, you're working. Even when I don't feel it, you're working. God, you never stop. You never stop working. God is always working for me. God is always working for his people. So just because it's not big and dramatic and impressive... And they don't invite you to come to general conference and testify that the angel showed up in physical form and carried you out of the hospital room. That doesn't mean God's not working for you. God has two flying guardians. I will send my B team before you, he told Israel. The miracle won't happen in a moment. The deliverance won't be instantaneous. The battle won't be over in a day. The enemy won't give up without a fight. But God is working, and it will happen. Sometimes you won't see much progress. Sometimes it will seem like you're losing the war. Sometimes, some days, it will feel like your strength is gone. Sometimes, some days, you will think, God has forgotten my name and where I am. But God is working, and it will happen. There may be long nights and dreary days and painful circumstances and spiritual opposition and sometimes seemingly endless trials. But if you are a child of God, God is working, and it will happen. It's God's B team at work in your life. And sometimes it just takes longer. So God hasn't given us a reason, but he has given us a promise. And we talked about it last night, Romans 8, verse 28. 
And we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are the called according to his purpose. It may not seem good today, but it is good because God is working on my behalf. When I can't see it or hear it or feel it or even point it out, I trust God and he's working on my behalf. I love what Paul wrote to the Philippian church. Chapter 1, verse 6. Being confident of this very thing. Paul said, I've got this confidence in my God. That he which hath begun a good work in you will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. God saved me. He put me into his family. He's been walking with me and leading me. And here's what I know. God has given me enough power to get through this journey. God is not going to drop me halfway through. He's not going to give up on me three quarters of the way through. He that has begun a good work in you, he's going to keep on working until he returns and you go to heaven. Are you glad for that kind of promise? That's our God. You can't fight him. You know why? He's the God of the angel armies. He's got more power in his little fingernail than all the armies of this world. And he's the one who's fighting for me. Now there's this wonderful, wonderful uh, man in the Old Testament. In fact, his story is told in the oldest book in your Bible. The oldest book. Not the first book. The oldest book. Um, it's, called, it's the book of Job. Job lived around the time of Genesis 11 or Genesis 12, around the same time Abraham was leaving Ur of the Chaldees to follow God to the promised land. Job lived somewhere in there. So his story is actually the oldest story in the Bible. Do you know that the oldest book in your Bible, the oldest story in your Bible, deals with the problem of pain and suffering because that's a pretty universal for human beings. And Job had this horrible trial that he went through. Oh my goodness. Um, Job lost everything in one day. He lost his cattle. He lost his wealth. He lost his children, all of them. He lost his own health. Job ends up sitting on a dung heap trying to get some relief, his body has broken out in boils and he's trying to scratch those boils with a piece of broken pottery just to get some relief. And in the middle of the worst trial of his life, even his wife walks up to him and says, Job, you might as well give up. God must hate you, Job. Why don't you just curse God and maybe he'll get mad enough at you to kill you and you can... Get out of the pain. Just curse God and die. And then Job has some friends that show up. To this day, we still call them Job's comforters. 6,000 years later, we call them Job's comforters. If somebody calls you a Job's comforter, that is not a compliment. His friends show up, and the Bible tells us they sit around and just stare at him for a week. That's not helpful. And then they start talking, and it gets worse. Because basically, his friends start blaming Job. Job, come on. Come on, Job. You must have sinned. Job, come on. You must have done something wrong. Job, come on. Get real. 
There must be something hidden in your heart. And Job, he just says, no, guys, I'm not lying. I don't think I'm perfect, but I haven't sinned. I haven't hidden something in my heart. There's no secret agenda in here. I've just been trying to serve God. I've just been trying to please God. And I don't know why that God has allowed this horrible trial in my life. I don't understand this. And Job's trial goes on for weeks and weeks and weeks and weeks. It's terrible. It's awful. And somewhere in the middle of his trial, Job comes to this conclusion. He said, um, Job 23, verse 8, Behold, I go forward, but he's not there. And I look backward, and I can't perceive him. I look on the left hand, and they tell me he's working over there, but I can't behold him. And I look on my right, and it seems that he's hiding himself on my right hand, and I can't see him. Job said, no matter which direction I look in, it seems like God's not at work. He's forsaken me. I've looked ahead and behind. I've looked to the left and the right. And I can't discern God's work anywhere in my life. It seems like God is not working for me. I can't figure out where he is. You don't, please don't raise your hand. Have you ever lived in a time in your life like that where you knew that the Bible said God was faithful, but you were thinking, I don't know where he is. You knew that the Bible said God was a healer or God was a deliverer, but, but your experience is telling you, but he doesn't seem to be showing up in my life. Well, Job came to this conclusion in the middle of the worst trial of his life. He says, I don't know where God is, but I believe God knows where I am. I can't see him ahead. I can't see him behind. I can't see him on the left. I can't see him on the right. But he knows the way that I take. And when God has tried me, I shall come forth as gold. Here's what Job came to in the middle of the worst, elongated, stretched out, horrible trial of his life. It went on for weeks. Here's what he finally came to. I don't know where God is right now. But I believe God knows right where I am. And furthermore, I can't tell you when I'm coming out of this trial. I wish it was today. I wish it was yesterday. Uh, I can't tell you when I'm coming out of this trial. Because that seems to be in the hand of God. And God doesn't seem to be talking to me right now. I can't tell you when I'm coming out of this. But I can tell you how I'm coming out of this. On whatever day that God heals me, on whatever day that God delivers me, on whatever day that the miracle happens, when he's finished trying me, I can't tell you when that's going to be. I can't tell you when I'm coming out, but watch me, devil. I'm going to show you how I'm coming out. I'm coming out as gold. I'm not coming out bitter. I'm not coming out backslidden. I'm coming out with victory. I'm coming out with confidence in God. When he has tried me, I shall come forth as gold.
If God sends the angels to fight for me, that'll be easier. But if God chooses to send the hornets to fight for me, and it takes longer, and it's harder, and it's more difficult, I'm going to just trust my God that his ways are perfect, and his ways are better. God may deliver me from the fire, or God might just step into the fire and deliver me in the fire. But either way, it's going to be just as much of a miracle. Either way, I'm going to give God the glory. Either way, it's going to be my testimony that my God has been faithful to me. Oh, I wish somebody clap your hands to the Lord and do what the Bible says. Shout unto God with a voice of triumph. God is faithful to us. God is faithful to us. Oh, my goodness. You feel that? You know what's happening? The angel armies are all around the people of God. And God can send his angel armies and heal you instantly today. But let me tell you, if God doesn't heal me instantly, if God doesn't deliver me in a moment, if God doesn't answer my prayer in one service, guess what? I'm going to be here next week, and I'm going to be just as faithful to God, and I'm going to be rejoicing in the Lord. Would you stand with me right now? We'll get the music team to help us in a little bit, but right now, I just want us. I just want our voices and our prayer. Would you leave where you're standing and just walk this way? Just come to the front. They've made beautiful preparation for us to pray. Lots of room here. We can gather as family. And I told him last night, that same book of Job, where Job had that horrible experience, but he was so faithful to God. Do you know what it says in the very last chapter of the book of Job? It says that God turned the captivity of Job when Job prayed for his friends. His friends hadn't been much help to him, to be honest. They had complained, they had criticized, they had accused him. They didn't get it, they didn't understand. But Job came to the place, if I have to do this all by my little old self, I don't need all these friends and I don't need everybody's help because I've got the God of all eternity fighting for me. I can't tell you when I'm coming out of this. And I agree with Job, I can't tell you when I'm coming out. I've got prayers I'm still praying. I've got answers I still need. I can't tell you when I'm coming out, but I can tell you how I'm coming out. I'm going to come out praising my God, and whether He delivers me in an instant, or whether He delivers me in six months, whether I see the miracle today, or whether the miracle's three weeks down the road, I'm going to trust God every day. So there's something about praying together and praying for our friends. Would you reach over to somebody near you, guys with guys and ladies with ladies, family with family, friends with friends, however. Don't make it weird or awkward. Just, just if, they, if, they're, if they tense up, leave them alone. But for most of us, we'll accept a prayer from somebody, won't we? Because prayer touches God. And when prayer touches God, the God of the angel armies, the God of the A team and the B team, the God of all eternity, the miracle worker, He shows up when we pray. Would you put your hand on that brother or sister next to you, and would you just begin to pray using your voice to pray for them, and they're going to use their voice to pray for you, and I just want you to pray right now.
Lord Jesus, I thank you for your word. I thank you for your great plan. I thank you for your great church and your people. I thank you, God, that you are so faithful. Even when we don't see it, you're working for us. Even when we can't feel it, you're working for us. You never stop working for us. You never stop uh, interceding for us. You never stop blessing us. You never stop leading us. So God, today, we're crying out as a people, and we're saying whatever you need to do, however you choose to do it, we need your power. We need your deliverance. We need your healing. We need outpouring. We need salvation. We need, God, your blessing on our lives. So as we're praying, I ask you, Jesus, to move and to minister right now. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, God. Jesus, I pray that you would minister right now to my brothers. I pray that you'd minister right now to my sisters. I pray you'd minister to some families that are going through all kinds of trial and pain and crisis. I pray you'd minister to somebody that's so troubled in their mind because of the pressures of life. I pray you'd minister to somebody who's sick in their body and the diagnosis isn't good. But Jesus, you're the the way maker. You're the miracle worker. You can do what only you can do. You can fix what only you can fix. You can heal what only you can heal. You can deliver what only you can deliver. Oh, pray church. That's beautiful. is here. God can work a miracle in your family while you're standing here praying for him.